and Hound podcast. Hello and welcome to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Frosty Tap. I'm Pippa Room, magazine editor at Horse and Hound. How is everyone doing? It has been such a big week for horse sport with the Kentucky three-day event in the USA taking place, and we'll be talking more about that later. This week's podcast guest is Adam Forster, talking about Team Jinx's recent success at the British Show Pony Society Winter Championships and why this show is special. When I put a pony in the ring at an evening performance at the BSPS, whether it be winter or summer, and watch them go around the ring, it does something to you in ways that you can't really describe, but it is quite magical. We'll be reviewing last week's Kentucky Five Star, talking about an important court of arbitration for sport ruling and hearing news from an important women's summit. Finally, our podcast vets will tell us more about how your regular vet and a hospital vet will work together if your horse needs specialist attention. We're all working together to try and maximise uh, sort of patient success. So uh, there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes um, between yeah, first opinion and referral practices, and it goes on up and down the country as well. More from Rick Farr of Farr and Percy Equine and the Royal Veterinary College's Andy Fisk-Jackson later. So it's time to get going. Zip up your boots and we'll get cracking. Hello and welcome to Horse and Hound's guest interview. I'm Alex Robinson, showing editor here at Horse and Hound. And yeah, we are back. Shows are back in the calendar and we're back in the show ring doing what we love. And we've actually had one of our major championship shows already go ahead. And this was the British Show Pony Society, the BSPS Winter Champs, which took place at Arena UK. Uh, so the Champs took place over the weekend of the 17th and 18th of April. There was so many quality ponies opportunities for all types and and levels of rider there were royal international tickets on offer as well as two prestigious supremes and these were the restricted supreme and the novice supreme which was won by the novice show hunter pony romano spot of distinction who was ridden by charlotte caulfield and today we're joined by his co-producer adam forster of team jinx hi adam how are you hello alex i'm very well thank you Good. And and you guys had an exceptional show culminating in this incredible title. So how was it to be back out at a, at a big champs? And was there still that same buzz in this kind of post-COVID era? Yeah, it was it was fantastic. Um, obviously, it's something that's been in our minds working towards over the winter. Um, everybody wants to do well at the BSPS Winter Champs, especially with novices. And we were fortunate enough to have done that. But it it was very much something that, like I say, we'd looked forward to. And being there, obviously, with everything that's gone on with regard to COVID, um, it, you did, before we went, anticipate maybe it would feel a bit different. Would it be very strict? Would it be mm. undoable? And it was none of that. Um, it felt fantastic. It, there was obviously the lots of COVID regulations that we all adhered to, but I don't know whether that's because as a, as a society we've become used to living that way, that it didn't seem as restrictive. And because everyone was happy to be out and at a championship show, there was a fantastic atmosphere, probably more so than in previous years. And the weather was fantastic, which always helps. So, yes, it was it was excellent and we all thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, it was a very, very good two days. Brilliant. Yeah, it's just so nice to be back out, isn't it? Yeah. 
Um, yeah. So Romano Spot of Distinction, who is known as AJ at Home, so he's a young show hunter pony. Can you just tell me a little bit about him? So where did he come from and, and what's he kind of done prior to this victory in the ring? Yes, um, at, at the back end of 2019, um, David um, and myself were shopping for ponies. Um, it was after Hoy's in 2019 and we went all the way down to Kent to look at ponies and then worked our way back up the country, ending up um, at Katie Carter's yard, um, who's not too far from us. We went to look at 14 twos and other ponies at Kate's. All were lovely, but not particularly what we were looking for that day for that client. We weren't looking for a pony for Charlotte that day. We were looking for somebody else. Kate happened to have AJ there. She didn't really want to sell him, but she showed him to us. The minute she pulled him out and stood him up, I said to David, that is coming home. <laughs> um, and then she walked him. She didn't, he didn't even trot. She just walked him around her indoor school in hand and I'd fell in love. And I said wow. to David, that is definitely coming home. Um, so we went away, not finding a pony for the child that we were looking for, <laughs> but accidentally finding AJ for Charlotte. So I came home, I spoke to Louise Caulfield, Charlotte's mum, and said, I've found Charlotte's 14-hander we're buying it whether you can afford it whether you want it or whatever he is being bought and he is coming home so um yeah that's what we did david had a conversation with kate who then spoke to a mum and dad um rod and marg because they owned the pony with kate and then the, the, the you know the conversation unfolded and aj was ours um kate had started him long random she'd started him beautifully um mm -hmm. and then I think she'd sat on him and ridden him around the yard and then just at about the point of breaking away, sorry, riding away. And then we um, carried on from there, rode him away mm -hmm. and all over the winter, nice and steady, and then hacked him out loads. And he did a few winter shows in 2020. Fabulous. And of course, we can't forget about Charlotte. Um, she, she's on board. She's kind of obviously half of the team so she's obviously a young jockey to watch how long has charlotte been riding and how long has she been based with uh, yourself and david at team jinx so charlotte um i think she's been riding since she was old enough to sit on a pony um and she grew up doing a lot of pony club a lot of hunting very very much into the hunting as a family she she would hunt an awful lot um then she's they started showing as a family um, she had a very successful 12-hander um, that she was second at the international with, um, Green Down Jake. Um, okay. Then we moved from Yorkshire to Cheshire. And as it happens, Louise and Charlotte and Gary as a family live 10 minutes away from us. And they came one night for a lesson with a novice 13-hander, brought the pony and... The rest is history, I suppose. Mm -hmm. The pony never went back on their lorry. It stayed and we just... She was still in 12-2, so she was only 12, I think, when she came to us. And then she rode a 12-2 for one of our clients and then she rode the stretch halt about um, New Dimension uh -huh. as champion at Hoys. And it just went on and on and on. She's a fantastic kid. Oh, she brilliant. doesn't live far away, like I said. She comes every night after school. She'll muck out. She'll ride. She'll bath ponies for shows she'll handle mares and foals with me you know she does oh, it all brilliant. and she just eats sleeps and breathes it yeah mm. she's a really good kid she's obsessed nearly <laughs> as much as me <laughs> 
So over the weekend, you guys had a, a lot of wins with, with some other ponies. I've got here that you won seven classes, four Royal International tickets, five championships, obviously the one Supreme, and there were several other top placings. Um, so mm. were there any other particular highlights from the weekend for you? Maybe just a couple you could point out. Yeah, um, Charlotte, again, Caulfield, did very well with her Novice 14-2 Brindlebrook um, masterpiece. Okay. We, he was recently purchased from the Brindlebrook stud, where previously he was a um, working stallion. Um, they then cut him and he went under saddle and we bought him for Charlotte. He did. He's done one show prior to this, BSPS Area 3B, where he won and went Novice Champion. And then he went to the BSPS champs and won the novice show ponies. And then he won the restricted and went restricted champion. Um, so, yeah, I'm very pleased with him and he had a great champs. Um, Brilliant. So he's one to look forward to. Um, we also did very well with the Barkway Alfie Moon first ridden pony. Um, as it happens, we had him last year for a girl called Florence Davies, owned mm -hmm. by a month, Helen Davies. And he was great for Florence and she had great success on him during the COVID year. Um, and then he was obviously, Florence was out of the class and he came up for sale. David gave me a random phone call one lunchtime. He was off the yard and he said, I've bought Alfie off Florence, off, um, Florence and Helen. <laughs> I said, oh, really? <laughs> because? And he said, because he's too good and he's fantastic. And we're always going to have a first ridden jockey that needs the ultimate first ridden. And so we now own him. I was like, all oh, right, OK, Aww. well done, David. And and then as it happens, Rebecca Leach has leased him for the season, who is another client of mine for her daughter, um, Tilly Leach, because mm -hmm. um, she's in her last year of first riddens. And they've hit the ground running. They've been champion first time out um, in the Open at 3B. They went Brilliant. to the champs and won their first qualifier and went reserve champion. Um, so, yeah, I'm really pleased with that. Um, another pony that I'm very excited about and did very well at the championships was um, and Mr. Anthony Gribbon's Stretch Halt About Time. Okay, yeah, yeah. Um, he's new to us this year. Um, Reese Shakespeare, who rides for us, he um, is is jockeying him for uh, Mr. Gribbon. And again, they've had a great run to, um, start to the season. They were champion open at 3B. They won and qualified for the Royal International and the Park Reds at North of England. And then they went to the champs and contested their first Royal International Open Show Pony um, class and won and then took the championship, um, the mm -hmm. Open Championship. So that was a, a great, a great um, result for both Reese, the Pony, a stretch halt about time and Mr. Gribben. Um, it's a new combination. So everyone's, you know, we're all in thinking, oh, is it going to work? You know, will will they gel? But they have, they've, they've, seem to have cemented that partnership and it's it's gone very well so far fabulous very exciting so how long have you actually been going to the bsps champs for adam kind of what what would you say your earliest memory of those prestigious championships are well it it's been quite a lot of years that i've been going <laughs> to the um the champs i remember bsps summer champs when that was um at peaceborough okay um, yeah and that was uh, for me, I loved it there and it was my ultimate favourite and it was like a holiday, you know, it seemed to, the week seemed to go on forever and it was such fun. I still love the Champs, it's obviously a different venue, a fantastic venue and I always say, oh well, it, it's not like Peterborough was but then I've chatted with David about it and he feels the same because he remembers it there with such fondness mm. but... 
the children that we take to Arena UK, it is the highlight of their year. Oh. And whether it be winter or summer. And I think because they didn't remember Peterborough and they never went, they love it just as much as we did. I love it at Grantham. It's great. But, yeah, I remember it at Peterborough and that Vauxhall Arena with the white um, fabric walls and you couldn't move. You'd have to get there early <laughs> to get in. And it was just, you know, people were... You were jammed in watching. It was electric. And that was... Oh, it was... Well, it was evening performances like that at Peterborough that inspired me partly, you know, part of what inspired me to do what I do. You know, I, I remember standing there thinking, I need to do this as a job. This is just yeah. magical. <laughs> it is something else. And it is still like that. When I put a pony in the ring at an evening performance at the BSPS, whether it be winter or summer, and watch them go around the ring, it, it does something to you. It, it's it, it's in you. It, it gets into your bones and it, yeah. it, 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 it enlightens you in ways that you can't really describe, but it is quite magical. Amazing. And do you have a, maybe a, a favourite memory from the champs, a favourite win? I mean, I'm sure there's been so many over the years, but, you know, either one yourself has had or, or a client. Um, well, for myself, when I was younger, um, it was probably winning the Young Judges um, in that evening performance. It always sticks in my head. It was, it was, it was great. And you paraded around, I know not on a pony, but... <laughs> on foot and it was that was a very very special experience and I'd worked so hard um Joanne Pibus had trained me and then I'd gone for training with Valerie Swinburne and then um Joanne had sent me for a day with Caroline Nelson and then Sarah Emerson and I'd worked so so hard to then have that ultimate win at the end and the final was was very special and that sticks in my head and that was I think one of the first years that had gone to Arena UK so it was all very different and it was all very special um there's been lots of memorable wins at the BSPS over the years for the with the clients ponies one in particular was a lovely win um was when um our first ridden Ravara, Mr. Todd, went mini supreme and, uh -huh. and Chloe Sally got her wonderful pink flowery sash. Malukas Bengal Beauty, he went show pony supreme. That was a fabulous result. Mm -hmm. um, Charlotte Elliott Gruby on Homestone Tailor Made, they went intermediate supreme. Yeah, that was that was fantastic. Um, the year that they then went on to take the championship of Horse of the Year show. So that was, it was, you know, it was a lovely result. Um, yeah, there's been lots, loads. And I like bit winter champs for me is, like I said earlier, is somewhere where you take a novice. And if you've yeah, got a yeah. good novice and you try to, I'll pick out my novices at the start of the year and David and I'll chat and we'll say, right, I want to win the novice show ponies with that. Or I think that, you know, try and aim that for winning the 14 handers at winter champs. And it seems to set a pony up well. Um, they're always in good company and it's quite prestigious. You know, it's the start of their career. Um, the stretch halt, New Dimension, he went there. He won the novices at Summer Champs and Winter Champs. And then he went on to then win Horse of the Year show and take the championship at the end of the season. And it does, you know, it. I think if a pony can hold their own and do well in those novices in good, strong company, mm. you kind of think, oh, I've got, you know, I've got a good one here. I thought I did and, and it's confirmed it. Sometimes you can think you've got a good one and you take it and that strong company and it doesn't do that yeah, well. And yeah. you think, mm, maybe it's not as good as I think it is. But, you know, that's showing and that's how we um, we have to all take it on the chin and, and it's down to that individual judge. And, and actually, yeah, sometimes they're not as, as, as polished or as perfect as you think originally. But on the whole, 
they are and BSPS normally sorts them out. And and those sashes are definitely something else. They're definitely on the on the bucket list. <laughs> oh, they are. They are without a doubt to win those flowery sashes. Yeah, <laughs> it's a I mean, dream. <laughs> I managed to win one with Menai Eurostar last summer to take the M and M title. Oh yeah, of course. Um, yeah. And have, funny enough, I know this is quite random, but it was yellow and he's done, and it just seemed to be so perfect <laughs> and matched. And it was, it was magical. <laughs> Even at my age, it was quite lovely. Wonderful. Um, so, yeah, Adam, just finally, with the summer season fast approaching, um, where is Team Jinx heading next? Wh- which shows kind of in the diary for you? Well, we've got um, BSPS Area 1A at Barnard Castle. And by the time this pod comes out, I'm sure that will have been and gone. Um, yeah, the Northeast Counties, um, which is my, I grew up in Northumberland, so that is my old area, oh, um, 1A. So it's always lovely to go back to 1A and see everyone that I grew up with. And yeah, it feels like going home. Um, so yeah, it's it's a lovely show and I look forward to that. Um, and then it's just yeah, start, carry on with the run of the um, area shows, the BSPS area shows, hopefully doing well and gaining some more of those um, Royal International qualifications along the way. Um, and then I'm sure enough, before we know it, we'll be on to the Horse of the Air show qualifiers. So plenty to go at. Yeah, plenty to go at and lots to keep <laughs> us busy and out of trouble. <laughs> <laughs> so thanks so much, Adam. It's been really nice chatting to you. And yeah, we wish Team Jinx a very happy 2021 showing season. You're most welcome. Bye. So to kick off our new segment this week, I'm joined by my horse and hound colleague, Catherine Austin. We are going to talk about the Land Rover Kentucky three-day event, which took place last week, the first five-star of this year to happen. And I was so excited to have a five-star. I enjoyed the whole thing so much. And this week, I just feel like I've got a five-star hangover, Catherine. How do you feel? Well, I I agree. I mean, it was completely and utterly compelling. And wow, we've really missed proper top class, you know, sports at this level in eventing. It was so exciting. So nerve wracking, just brilliant. But weirdly, my overwhelming feeling is that I am just gutted that it isn't badminton this week because we should be following up and having our own British five star. And, you know, we all know why we can't, but yeah badminton is the ultimate follow-on to kentucky and you know this year kentucky stands alone but it was great yeah you're right we should be sort of having this week to catch our breath and then heading off to badminton next week and um gosh i hadn't now i feel a bit sad but let's be enthusiastic about kentucky because it was excellent let's kick off by talking about our winner oliver town and it was an incredible weekend for him. He won his third Kentucky, different horse to the previous two. He took Cooley Masterclass out there to defend his title. He went well in the dressage and cross country, but wasn't able to trot up in the end and sort of finish the defense of his title, although he was a little down the leaderboard, but would have expected a top 10 finish had he been able to trot up. But Oliver came through and won the competition on Ballamore class. Catherine, he's a horse whose career you've followed all the way through. Yes, I mean, I, I recall so clearly his winning cross-country round at Burley when he made his five-star debut as a 10-year-old, quite a green horse, and a lot of people wouldn't have seen him. 
and the way the way he went that day you knew he was the one you know the way and the way Oliver rode him the way Oliver filled him with confidence all the way around they got three quarters of the way around Oliver said you've got it now now go and the horse just leapt and went and he he's exceptional uh, his show jumping round the first time he show jumped on a surface at a three day event so you know on the final day and he was foot perfect there were plenty of horses that rattled fences and he was immaculate and what a thrill you know how fantastic to have a horse for Britain that has done six five stars has won two of them and has finished in the top five at every single one of those six he you know he's awesome they have a really brilliant partnership he's not an easy horse he is still a sharp horse but he's a brilliant horse and together they get the best out of each other I think Mm, and just looking back at his record, that is the first five star that he show jumped clear. And as you say, first time jumping on the surface. And that was the best show jumping round we've seen him jump at a five star for sure. Um, one of the things that struck me, Catherine, when I was watching the press conferences was the sort of level that Oliver is operating at as a rider, because there are so many riders who you see at five star and you know that they are on the limit of their ability and I don't mean that in a disparaging way to ride at five star is an incredible achievement mm. in itself. But you can see that to get around that course, they are putting every inch into themselves and, and their horse to make it happen. And yet when you hear Oliver talk about the round that he had with Ballamore class last Saturday, he didn't have everything going his way. It was pouring with rain. The horse lost a shoe and he was so in control and so analytical about the fact that he had had to keep the horse on his feet, slow down on the turns, take care anywhere it might be slippery, make up the time anywhere he could. And it was just obvious that his level of ability in being able to do that when things aren't really going his way is just incredible. Yes, I mean, they say that, you know, under extreme pressure, the athletes can only access quite a small part of their brain. Um, and therefore, so much of it has to be experienced, doesn't it? it? Your body has to have experienced every kind of result to something happening. So you have those things in your toolbox, you know what to do instinctively. And I think the instinctive bit is an important word. But it's instinctive because you've learnt it by repetition. And you know, Oliver has done a huge amount of five stars and a huge amount and, and amazing to have got horses to five star but you to do really really well consistently at that level you need to have that experience behind you you need to have those things in your toolbox you need to know what to do in every possible situation and Oliver does and that result takes him up to seventh equal on the sort of all-time leaderboard of, of five-star wins. It puts him on a level with the likes of Blythe Tate and Pippa Funnel in terms of five-star wins. Yeah, pretty, pretty big weekend for him. And he was followed home by the two prices, Tim and Janelle. Really strong weekend for them. Five horses, five clears cross country. Amazing. Absolutely amazing. You know, to get that amount of horses out there, you know, in a pandemic is some effort to have them prepped, have them ready, have them qualified, get them there. And, and then to and then to go like that on all of them is, yeah, is extraordinary and full credit to them. One of the high, absolute highlights for me was seeing, you know, the past badminton winner classic Murray show jumping round. You know, the mayor is 18 and 
you know, she jumped this amazing clear round, having spun round the cross country in her normal, you know, fast fashion. And you think, yeah, what a girl. And I mean, both the rider and the horse, you know, Mm -hmm. they're, they're phenomenal. Yeah, definitely. And she finished seventh. Janelle Price also third on Gravine de Rev. Tim Price second on Xavier Fair. I want to touch on another Kiwi rider, Catherine. Jesse Campbell was 11th on Diacello. He's not a horse who had really crossed my radar before. He was a five-star debutante, but pretty impressive to come home in 11th. And we're obviously assuming that Tim and Janelle are going to Tokyo. I don't even know why the New Zealanders would bother putting out a selection <laughs> announcement about that. But I think Jesse has just made a really strong bid for the third New Zealand team place. For sure he has. I'd seen the horse a couple of times last year and thought he was very smart. But to come out at his first five star and produce a result like that was, you know, was was really impressive. Good for Jesse. Excellent riding cross country on Saturday, I thought. Again, a confidence giving ride for the horse. Asking enough without, you know, asking too much. And yes, you know, I would imagine that it's for someone else to overtake him for that place for Kentucky now, uh, for London. Ah, Which Olympics are we talking about? Tokyo. (laughs) (laughs) For Tokyo now. Yeah, agreed. And um, talking of Tokyo selections and uh, another nation, Kevin McNabb, sixth on Scuderia 1918 Donkey Dam. I think that he has has definitely sort of put his cards on the table for an Australian team place. Yes, it was an impressive performance. I think he was disappointed at Poe last year. The horse went extremely well at Poe in 2019. Went to Burnham Market last autumn, had an excellent prep there and finished on his dressage score and went to Poe hoping for really big things. And he just said the horse, you know, was argumentative and just didn't give him the cross-country ride he was expecting and hoping for. But they were really impressive this weekend. And yes, if I was an Australian selector, I mean, obviously you and I should just select all the teams because we'd get it right. (laughs) I would be thinking, yeah, well done you, job done. Yeah, clear inside the time cross country, one show jumped down. I I agree with you. I think uh, it's for someone else to, to ask, ask Kevin now. We have to talk about the home side. Now, Catherine, I have discovered something this morning, which I hope you don't know, but you probably do, <laughs> um, about On Cue, who was fourth and best of the Americans with yep. Boyd Martin. So, you know, Jaleese and Alice Clancy, British, um, Alice's yes. mother, Jaleese, her daughter, you know, all their on horses, their breeding dynasty. On cue is one of their ons. Oh, I didn't know that. Good fact, Pippa. Well, she is a third generation homebred for the Clancy's. Um, so on cue, out of on high, out of on song, out of their foundation mare, Orgamist. Um, I'm so excited about this in a very geeky way. And I'm definitely proposing a sport horse feature for next year. Sport horse specials for horse and hound on it. But um, she's not the horse that we thought was going to come through for Boyd. I, I said that Setzeleg was sort of the joint favourite with Oliver Townend's horses. And he was going well till he third, fell at the third last cross country but on cue sort of came out of the blue to have that fourth place result I think yes yeah, I was expecting Tetzeleg to be the the big challenger of Boyd's three what a mixed day for him you know you take three horses and one of them goes brilliantly and two of them don't and and that's sport and I think he'll be yeah quite a bittersweet feeling about the weekend but exciting to see this horse coming through and you know really really punching for it and 
it, yeah, it was a mixed weekend for the Americans. Some very good performances, some less good performances, which is natural. It's their five, their home five star. The contingent that travelled from Britain are, you know, some of the best of the best. You would expect more Americans to be, as the quite rightly, to be having a go at a first five star, more of a sort of middle of the road bunch. But I think that there was a lot of positives for them to be taken out of the weekend. I thought Tammy Smith and Mybaum really proved themselves at five star. There was quite a lot riding on it for them. They've done very well at the level below, but have also had some issues at the level below. And I know that she had an 11 penalties for a frangible device broken across country, but taken as a whole, her performance was very eye-catching. Yeah, so not a horse that I had seen in action before, and he was super elegant, I have to say, in the dressage. I was absolutely riveted. The thing that actually impressed me maybe the most about him cross-country, Catherine, was the way he went on after that 11 penalties mm. because he started out looking like a very careful horse. And there is this thing that people say where you say, is a horse too careful for five-star? You know, is he really up for the rough and tumble? And he started out jumping very careful. He got round to the end of the course to that fence where you jumped a rail, went to a ditch and to an arrowhead. He basically just forgot to take off with his back legs at the, uh, at the rail, essentially. I think he just jumped in, saw the ditch, put down with his back legs and never really took off and was lucky there was a frangible device there that, that maybe saved an accident but the thing that was impressive was that he kept going afterwards he didn't mm. kind of go oh that was terrifying I don't like touching fences I'm never going to do it again and I'm out he kept going he finished the course he finished the course well he was not a lot over the time and he jumped a lovely clear on Sunday if I was an American selector I would still take Tamiya to Tokyo that 11 penalties wouldn't lose her her spot yeah, I was interested because I'd heard Tammy say beforehand that, you know, she was, yeah, she knew what a big deal this was. And, you know, she really felt the pressure. And I thought, hmm, it'd be interesting to see how you do deal with the pressure. And then to have that happen cross country, to go into the show jumping and know that she really, really had to show jump clear and to do it, great. And then she said afterwards, I felt the pressure. And I liked it. And I thought, hmm, yes, good for you. You've got to be, to be really competitive at the top level, you've got to want to put the pressure on and you've got to be able to operate underneath it. Mm, definitely. Good point. And let's just talk for a minute about Derek de Grazia's course. You know, it, it was a genuine five star. It's a cliche thing to say, but it really was, wasn't it? Yeah, it was really serious. Um, I mean, you know, good for him. The stats are quite interesting, aren't they? Because actually at points, and this does happen at five star, you tend to only notice the problems and you think, oh my God, this is causing carnage. And actually, the stats were pretty good. I think it was a 66% clear rate in the end. The one stat that stands out that I'm sure Derek will be less happy about with the fact there were seven horse falls, which in the modern sport is not perhaps ideal. Good riding really stood out, didn't it? You know, the, the, the riders who were really accurate, really on their line, who could think, who could adjust their horses and who could gallop away, I thought yeah made, made themselves stand out from the rest of the pack it was really big and as you say it, it was cumulatively tiring yeah and i think that's what we saw at the end of the course where we had those couple of falls sets the leg oratorio in that final combination there was nothing about that combination that should have caused a five-star horse to fall but maybe a little bit of tiredness a little bit of leg weariness a, a log slightly downhill and um, 
And that just came in for, for, for Setzleg, who is, you know, a proven five-star horse. And for Oratorio, who didn't really deserve that for William Foxpit's ride. He was, I thought, improving in confidence all the way around until he got to that point. And it was a real shame that happened. Yeah, wasn't it? It's an awfully long way to go and to get that far. And it, I thought William, you know... William was William. He rode with all that experience and a masterfulness that we we know he can. It wasn't the smoothest round, but it was getting better and better. And yeah, no, you know, a really unfortunate thing to happen. And really yeah. unfortunate for Boyd as well. You didn't feel that either either set of horse or rider deserve, you know, no one deserves a fall, but deserved that in any way. No, it wasn't. It wasn't like they had scraped around to that point, and you kind of thought, "Well, that was always coming." Um, they they were mm. they were unfortunate falls. I think you and I could review Kentucky for the next two hours, Catherine, which we're not going to do. Podcast listeners, you'll be pleased to hear. But we can't finish without talking about Harry Mead, <laughs> finished fifth, um, Superstition making his five star debut, and of course, an incredible backstory: Harry having had a serious head injury in the autumn last year. Who would have thought a month ago, Harry Mead would be going to Kentucky and finishing fifth? I mean, it's extraordinary. And isn't, isn't sport cool? Because things like that happen. An amazing achievement. Really, I mean, what a cross-country round. What a cross-country round. You know, and, you know, a, a, good, a really good enough dressage performance, but, and a good show jumping round. One pole down, perfectly respectable, but the cross-country was the stuff of legends. Yeah, it really was. And I spoke to Harry, what, four or five weeks ago when he had just ridden in his first event back. And, you know, he was saying, I still have to have a nap during the day. I get really tired. And like he was saying, it's sort of a neuro tiredness where you can't just push through. And, you know, it might be a case of having several conversations with people in one day makes me tired. And he was saying, you know, his wife, Rosie, when when they go to events that Rosie was sort of beating people off, so they didn't talk to Harry. That's a nightmare because Harry wants to talk to everybody absolutely nonstop. <laughs> so I really don't envy Rosie trying to do that and I was sort of thinking my god he's going to go to Kentucky like the thought of getting on a plane going through all that particularly in COVID times and you know that's a very stimulating experience whether or not you've had a head injury and I'm looking forward to catching up with Harry soon hopefully we're going to get an interview with him in Horse and Hound and sort of finding out what his progression has been from where he was four weeks ago when I was having that conversation with him and it was very much like I've entered Kentucky but I'm not necessarily going to go to coming through to finish fifth. It's amazing. And I mean, good for him. You know, this, this horse has only been with him since September 2019. Mm. And to have a shot at a championship this year, he needed to come out somewhere and do something amazing. To do it at Kentucky with all the logistics involved in that was yeah, hugely impressive. And yeah, we wish him all the very best. And I think he is someone who, who has piloted himself up that championship selection board by quite a long way by doing this. Mm, I definitely think he's given the British selectors something to think about. And if it isn't Tokyo, I would love to see him at the Europeans in September this year. Catherine, we are going to stop because otherwise we will fill this entire podcast with you and I talking about <laughs> so Kentucky. Easy. Yeah. I know. Is there anything finally you want to say that you just can't finish without, you know, mentioning? No, I was glad you said about Harry, but I just think I really want to say from both of us and from everyone at Horse and Hound, well done to Oliver and Ballamore class because what they achieved this weekend was phenomenal. Yeah, it was a great result and um, we have him on our cover this week and it's a, it's a lovely picture of him on his lap of honour and it's brilliant to have, have a big event like that to celebrate. Indeed. Thank you, Catherine. My pleasure.
For the next part of our news review, I'm joined by two colleagues from the Horse and Hound News Desk. So first of all, it's hello to our news editor, Eleanor Jones. How are you, Eleanor? Yeah, good. Really good. Thank you. Um, Been getting out to more shows and absolutely freezing to death. No exaggeration, of course, a show on uh, the weekend, which was just, oh, my God, the wind is so cold. But yeah, we'll take that to get out to some shows. You are always at shows. You're like, jump, (laughs) jump, jump. You love it. Oh, it's amazing to be back out. Um, And we also have with us our senior news writer, Lucy Elder. How are things going with you, Lucy? Good, thank you, Pippa. I've been out at a show this weekend, not with a horse. I was out reporting at Kiso Premier League, which was, oh, it was lovely actually to get back out and see so many people happy to be out, horses very happy to be out and some really, really good competition actually. So yeah. Great weekend. Who were the big winners there? Yeah, the big winners were Alice Oppenheimer had a great weekend, actually. She won Friday's Grand Prix on Hedmore Durubinio, who's a gorgeous, great big chestnut horse, and he looks super exciting. It was really exciting as well to see Fiona Bigwood on one of her new um, Grand Prix rides, Fame, uh, looking really, really together. I can't believe they're a new combination. So that was really exciting in the Grand Prix. And then Alice had a good day on Sunday as well with Hedmore Durubinio's full brother, who's the fifth. 15-3 and it's you couldn't believe sort of seeing the two of them that that they are full brothers because um because they look quite different but he was super powerful in quite quite a small package as well so a great weekend for her and and lots of other people as well Annabella Pidgeley who was very very you know successful a pony rider has got some nice new junior horses coming through so I think she's going to be exciting one to watch as well and um yeah lots of other good winners covered in and the report in in this Thursday's magazine Oh, great. Well, I'm glad you were able to get out to that show and see some dressage while the rest of us were uh, were glued to the Kentucky live stream. Now, on the news front, Eleanor, I'm coming to you first today. And well, you've been writing about a big story concerning the FEI, which is, of course, Horse Sports International Governing Body and the Court of Arbitration for Sport, known as CAS. What's been happening there? Yeah, this has been one we've been covering for a good while. Um, and it's been incredibly sort of convoluted really um so there were some shows that were run at uh, a venue in france between december 2019 and last january and as it later turned out some of these classes were added to the event schedules after the definite entry deadline and some of these shows had classes at which you could get ranking points and the fei and the french federation both approved these schedules after the deadline which they shouldn't have done and then there was a bit of a a fuss over that and the FEI investigated and found that these updated schedules were mistakenly approved. So they annulled all the results and that meant one rider in particular, the Sri Lankan show jumper Matilda Carlson, lost the points she had gained in those classes and therefore lost her Olympic spot. She appealed. The FEI tribunal last summer dismissed the appeal, but now CAS has upheld it. And so that means that the rankings have been recalculated and the Sri Lankan rider gets her place at Tokyo back. Gosh, and who's the loser here? Who loses that Tokyo spot? Uh, Hong Kong. Okay, because I was going to say, I'm sure we're not just allowed to add an extra person. There's always going to be a loser in that situation as well. So this is a an interesting one. In the ruling, did CAS say that the FEI shouldn't be cancelling events or classes after they've taken place or do they sort of lay down a you know what what's what's the sort of overall picture here on what they said they they said that to protect the integrity of fei events that they can cancel things um retrospectively but what what it isn't allowed to do is as they quote retroactively rectify mistakes which entirely stem from its own sphere 
So basically because the FEI's human error meant that they approved these schedules, they couldn't then go back and do that. And has anything changed since this whole sort of fiasco to prevent this from happening again in the future? So the FBI says they've been proactive in addressing the issues concerned. And last February, they implemented this um, online invitational system for jumping events. And that introduces a quota system for two-star shows. So, So those rules weren't effective when these shows happened. But now they have put in place uh, rules where organisers of two-star events that want to have long gene ranking points in them have to now invite a minimum of 50 riders, which wasn't the case in these shows. And um, the FEI is also reviewing Olympic ranking points based on the number of riders in shows. Okay, well, that is a a really interesting story. And you have to feel for Hong Kong, who've been thinking they had this Olympic place and have now lost it, but also for the Sri Lankan rider who thought that, you know, she was jumping that show in good faith, working towards the Olympics. Yeah. Tricky one. Thank you, Eleanor. Lucy, I'm coming to you now. You recently tuned into the 2021 Aintree Grand Women's Summit, which is an event that had some great speakers. It sounds grand, and I think it was quite grand. the speakers included Judy Murray, mother of tennis player Andy. What sort of things did Judy talk about? It was really interesting, Pippa. As you said, it was grand. They This is something that happens every year, but this is the first year that they've made it publicly available that anyone can tune in and watch online. And I'm really glad I did. I'm quite nerdy in that I really love to... I'm really interested in what's happening in other sports and the themes that kind of cross over into the equestrian world. So... Judy was talking very much about building resilience and how we support each other and why those things are important for you know the health and success of of the athlete you're supporting but also the whole team around them as well um, she was talking about learning more from our mistakes and our defeats and disappointments than we do from successes and also you know whether you're a player or coach or parent that you learn how to handle frustration disappointment and defeat and failure because you're never going to win every single match you play or every race you run or with horses every competition you enter so you're and you only learn by failing so she's saying you've either won or you've learned i thought it was really interesting as well that she went into quite a lot of her own experiences as as a parent and sort of managing andy and jamie uh, through their careers um and managing you know sort of that role as parent as well as supporting them and she was saying about how she found that you know you don't need to know you know you don't need to be an expert on everything but you need to know how to find the right people to have the right input at the right time which i thought is something that possibly um riders might relate to as well and she said part of that as well is again knowing when to take when to take a step back so I thought there was a lot a lot in there that I was I was really interested to really interested to hear and that are you know definitely not unique to tennis. Hmm, it's a really interesting one about taking a step back and parents and children. I think the kind of, I guess, from my own experience of the relationship between 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 children and parents in sport, where I think it can be a great bond between children and their parents. And, you know, I love uh, share, sharing the horse now with my mum and so on. But um, I think there could be times when you're a teenager, maybe if things aren't going well, where it could become a pressure point in your relationship with your parents that, um, that maybe you don't need. So it's a really interesting one. And obviously in professional sport, all of that is magnified. Who else was speaking at the summit, Lucy? So we also had um, London 2012 Taekwondo gold medalist Jade Jones, who she won gold when she was 19. And she was talking about the pressures of achieving 
that level of success at that young age. And she said, which I thought was really interesting, she said, I, wa- I wasn't the best taekwondo player in the world at that time. I just, I was good. I trained really hard and I was good on the day. Um, I mean, obviously she is a phenomenal athlete. So she, I think there's quite a lot of modesty going on there. But how, how you manage that, those, that, those real highs and that Olympic dip afterwards and having the right people around you, not just in your support team, but also your family and friends that you know what your relationships are, you know, are, are with them because of they're, they're very strong relationships and they're not founded in the sport, which I thought was really fascinating. We had top physio Kate Davies, whose clients include um, top ballet dancers, top riders, rugby players, uh, Richard Johnson before he retired as well. And we had top eventer, of course, Pippa Funnel uh, speaking too. So it was it was a brilliant, brilliant panel. Oh, well, you can read more about what all of those, uh, all those people said in Lucy's story in this week's Horse and Hound. Thank you very much, Lucy. And thank you to Eleanor for joining us today too. The Horse and Hound podcast is currently supported by Frosty Tap from Roco ES Limited, leaders in frost-free technology. Introducing the C1000 Yard Hydrant, fresh mains water all year round, no matter what the temperature outside. Over to our vets now for some expert insight. My name's Rick. I'm a first opinion practitioner from Fire and Percy Equine, and we have the pleasure of also having Andy Fitzjackson, one of the referral surgeons at the Royal Veterinary College, with us today, just to have a quick chat, actually, to let you know about the relationship between first opinion practices and referral hospitals and their importance, and actually what happens behind closed doors, really, to keep our patients uh, so, or our clients really well informed and keeping patients sort of data and care up to date. So um, I'd like to introduce Andy. Uh, hopefully he's on the line. Hi, Andy. You there? Hi, Rick. How are you doing? I'm doing very well. Thank you. Not too bad. Uh, so, Andy, do you, if you just want to give us a, a, just a very quick rundown of who you are and where you are, and then we'll get cracking on into uh, how we kind of work together. Yep, so I'm one of the surgeons at the Royal Veterinary College um, and um, we uh, have a bunch of uh, different specialists at the um, Equine Referral uh, Hospital, just like many referral centres will, and um, each one dedicated to different um, specialisms uh, to treat uh, your horse. Um, so yes, we'll go on and discuss the um, kind of relationship we have, Rick. <laughs> well, fantastic. I mean, I, I think it's probably something that clients probably don't appreciate, um, that uh, whether it's good or bad, <laughs> and the amount of times we actually speak to one another, and quite often usually at sort of 10, 11 o'clock at night as well, when we're all kind of getting back in from clinics. Um, but uh, from a first opinion point of view, and we we try to stay apprised of all of the latest research and techniques that are out there, but we are heavily reliant as well as well as many first opinion practices are on local referral hospitals for additional advice and support, and that with actually um, keeping up to speed with things, and also when we do refer stuff in to make sure that client communication and communication between uh, referral centres, first opinion centres, and clients is also kept up to speed. So there's there's definitely a degree of trust that uh, i don't know about you andy but over over a number of years that we slowly develop absolutely uh yeah i mean the communication with each other within our hospital but also disseminating that out when we're chatting about cases you know we'll talk about oh there's this recent study which suggests that actually this is a better way to proceed with this case um and um yeah and, and actually the rapport you build up and rick and i've known each other for um, I don't know how long it's going to be now, oh, but a decade or so. And, um, a few years. <laughs> you know, it's a good number of years. And um, 
and actually, you, know, you go through, you know, some difficult cases, um, but also some great cases, and and you build up definitely a rapport, and you can talk, you know, much more frankly and honestly with each other. Mm. Yeah, and I, I think from a first opinion side, we're, we're frequently out in the field. Uh, obviously, some horses aren't insured; there are financial constraints. So to to have people such as yourself and other specialists on the end of the line to say, look, mm. frankly, we are unable to refer this one. However, what can we do? We've done as much as we can. Are there any new techniques or anything else or any advice? Because I think with any industry, you can't do absolutely everything. You you don't know every technique. You've never done every technique. So, And I've had multiple times when I've called yourself up just to say, right, okay, what is the the best way to approach this one? Um, and those those little things that you've just picked up over the years from the surgical mm. point of view to say, well, you're feeling for X, Y, and Z, and mm. it, it really helps. And I, I don't think that anyone, if they haven't got a good rapport with their referral centre, are not going to be able to benefit from it. Well, no, you, you also you know you you start getting down alleys where you just don't really improve at all. Either. You don't mm. improve your experience and doing. You want to be doing. Um, you know, new things as well, and 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 uh, doing the slightly rarer things to develop your expertise. You know, in fact, you know, this day and age, only only um, earlier on this week, um, a vet uh, uh, FaceTimed me. She was in the middle of a castration, quite literally, and I think um, maybe it was the owner holding the phone, and she was showing me what she was about to cut into, and and um, you know, I guided her through the process, and um, you know, it's only about a two-minute uh, conversation. I said, "Yep." Yeah, that you know and, and it, it was it was brilliant and actually it gives us a huge sense of satis- satisfaction as well to help someone you know in that situation whereby obviously the the uh, the, the horse's welfare was um you know needed to be looked after uh, and we could help and you know we always would you know actually those those sort of slightly more emergency right now mm-hmm. i want advice right yeah. now scenario yeah. is actually one of the most fulfilling uh, for us to be able to, um, to help and really feel like we've made a difference uh, in that short space of time um so yeah, absolutely agree. That's 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 vital. Um, and that's that's the thing that most clients probably don't get or appreciate or don't ever get to see that interrelationship. Mm. I mean, when we're going out and we're taking X-rays and ultrasound, there's countless occasions where we've taken the image. We're not quite one hundred percent sure whether it is significant or not. So taking the images and again sending to them to yourselves because I know down at the RBC you have multiple imaging specialists as well that have also looked at x-rays that we've sent you um, and then whether that is applicable for surgery um, I mean I can imagine you still get quite a few of those coming through from multiple first opinion yeah. practices. Absolutely yeah and um, actually you know all over the world in reality if, if you're deemed to be particularly specialist in certain things but certainly the the um you know, happy to look at, um, at at scans and and it's interesting. Sometimes, you know, I'll I'll, I'll report back, you know, and I'll, I'll say, God, that's a really good image of that. You know, how actually can I keep that and use it for when I'm teaching and things? You know, <laughs> and it's um, you know, it, it is, and it's really helpful to to see how things um, you know, are, are appearing, and actually how things have improved as well over the years in terms of the um, the quality of the the images that are coming through. You know, X rays, ultrasounds, they are astounding actually. Um, and it's nice also seeing, seeing you know, less experienced uh, vets uh, developing their, their expertise as well and sending mm. better and better images, more more readable images. But equally, we're very much understanding that out there in the field, it's not always that easy. We, we have our what we call our ivory towers. You know, we have a you know, beautiful uh, room set up, you know, and lots of people and, and the envy of every first opinion clinician. <laughs> <laughs> but we do appreciate, you know, you may not be able to take the perfect x-ray. You know, you might be in a situation which precludes 
that you know and and um you know just and then we have to talk through you know okay so fine you know we can't get a decent scan because you know it's this this horse's legs got way too thick skin so what's gonna be the best way forward what's a pragmatic way forward and we work together to decide that uh, and that's important too and that's all part of the dialogue yeah and i think it, that dialogue also takes time a lot of the time Again, we're in a world where it's on social media and everyone wants everything almost straight away and answers straight away. The joy of being able to work closely with a referral centre like that is you can send stuff over. And normally within, again, 12, 24 hours, we're having discussions and there's a lot going on behind the scenes, again, to then suddenly present an owner with all the facts and figures that they could ever need straight away. So if people are very get frustrated having to wait for answers, bear with us yeah. um, we're, we're all working hard it's um as rick will know most of my phone calls um are done on my drive home at night and um simply because that's the time i definitely have i'm a captive audience in a sense you know I'm, I'm, i've got my hands free and i'm just uh, calling owners of my cases and, and vets you know, and, and so forth but um equally i always say you know to anyone any vet you know if you really are looking to get hold of me to look at something you know just keep phoning me i respond well to pestering and yeah, i know that mm. rick wouldn't keep phoning me unless there was something <laughs> Um, you know, fairly urgent. And I can mm. all, you know, unless I'm literally scrubbed into surgery, I can normally uh, say, oh, look, Rick's tried me, you know, three times in the last two minutes. He obviously needs the call. And I, I think as clients do appreciate that, we're all working hard. It enhances, as you say, the patient experience mm. and the outcome in the end. So there's a lot that goes on behind the scenes um, between yeah, first opinion and referral practices. And it goes on up and down the country as well. Um, sometimes you do get a clash of personality. So also having that that slow build-up of rapport and, and everything else, we can say, yeah, you'll probably find this client would work better with this surgeon or, or vice versa. So we're all doing it with everyone's... Yeah everyone's yeah. benefit really so yeah just give us all time we are working hard in the background no definitely and just just going back i guess a step just a little bit um really just the, the communication before um, a patient comes in is, is critical because we don't want to have to be um without knowledge um without knowledge of the nuances any background you know what's been done um, that's really important, you know, before the patient gets to us. And, um, you know, some vets are better than others for that. I know that some are busy, but uh, something that Rick's done and his practice are very, very good at, um, you know, always getting sent uh, the complete history. But that's, that's imperative because we need to know in order to maximise the, the, the treatment, the benefits of treatment, there's no point us repeating things um, or uh, not being aware of the results of certain tests um, and so forth. That's, that's All these sorts of things are vital before... Uh, kind of, but that again comes with with good and even though yeah let's say one slip to the net you know i can say oh rick, rick you didn't call me about this one i call him you know yeah. just before the the patient arrives oh great yeah, yeah we have a good chat about it and yeah you know that's fine you know because you know it's perfect um uh i mean rick is of course but you know <laughs> <it's>, uh, <laughs> we, we, we try we try <laughs> but you know it's having that got that relationship you say yeah you know I, i've got his mobile number ping him a call hi rick how you doing oh, i've got uh you know bella coming in whoever um, and, and, and we can have a chat about it and it's, yeah. it's, it's all good. So hopefully that kind of ties it up a little bit to to let clients know what we do in the background, how we're kind of all working together to try and maximise uh, sort of patient success. So, uh, yeah, always keep in touch with the, your own first opinion practitioners and your referral centres and, and let us know when we're doing stuff well or if there are any problems. So, well, Andy, thank you very much for joining us. Um, no hopefully we'll hear from you again in another one. And, uh, yeah, uh, keep working hard. Thanks, Rick. 
Thank you both. Next week, Rick and Andy will be back to give us the lowdown on MRI scans. We also have a real treat for you in our interview slot. It's the week we should all have been at badminton, and we are so sad that we can't be there. But we will be speaking to the 2019 badminton winner, Piggy March, about her build-up to that week back in 2019, when she was triumphant at the event with Veneer Kamira. We'll have all the week's news as normal too, of course. Thank you for listening to the Horse and Hound podcast, currently supported by Frosty Tap. Please do rate, review and share the podcast to help us spread the word. Talk to you next week. The Horse and Hound podcast is a Media Cage production.